Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me, alongside OTB producers, media executive Grail Hallett, and soccer journalist Sam Griswold. Today at OTB, we talk about Man City's big win, and I'm not talking about on the pitch. I'm talking about their win with the financial fair play litigation. So uh, today on the show, we've called in the legal brains of the operation over here at OTB, Professor Stephen Bank. Stephen is the vice dean of, and professor of business law at UCLA. He knows the, the ins and the outs of these legal dealings. He teaches international sports law. He's a soccer guy. Uh, he does his uh, due diligence, as they say in the legal world, uh, on these matters. So it'll be great to talk to him, sort of help us make heads or tails about uh, what this means for not only Man City, but uh, the EPL, Champions League, all the various uh, ramifications of this ruling. So uh, it's, it's good to talk to an intellect like that, guys, because I have to deal with you simpletons every week. So it's nice to, to bring in some brains. I'm kidding. But guys... Uh, today at OTB, before we get going uh, with the show, because we got a lot to talk about, a lot of soccer going on, uh, what are you over on over the ball? Sam? Yeah, so this is kind of personal, and you guys might not know this story, but um, the Serie A just announced that they will be using one font going forward for names and numbers on the backs of the jerseys, the way they mm -hmm. do in the Premier League and, I believe, in Spain. Um, so essentially all the jerseys will be branded with you know the same lettering. Uh, and numbering um, and I'm not a fan of it at all um, I understand from a marketing standpoint you want you know and from a branding standpoint you want everything to look the same but um, I, I like the individuality that the different looks bring I think you know each jersey is designed with a different style of number in mind um, makes me think of the MLS where I think sort of it looks like every jersey is made by the same you know designer uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm just not into it. So, you know, a couple things there. One is you got the Italian designers, you know, you got some Gucci and Armani, uh, in, you know, suits designed there, maybe for the shirts. I can see the, some uniformity because sometimes you can't read the names because they're so fancy or odd. Um, and then yeah. I don't, you, you refer to the MLS. If you looked at the MLS jerseys, the first couple of years, oh my God, they were atrocious. <laughs> Everybody designed them the way they wanted to. And it looked like it, they were crazy. They're crazy looking. So I understand, you know, as a, you're packaging your business together. Um, I oh. kind of like the creativity, uh, element, yeah. Sam, I'm kind of with you, but every league is all about templates and formulaic things and living by rules and you can't wear certain shoes if you don't have that endorsement deal and you get so it doesn't surprise me mm -hmm. it's just like the the normal next step but i kind of like the idea of being able to do something yeah I, with I just don't like how it sort of speaks to you know i feel like in the past clubs were selling themselves you know yeah. and now it's you know with tv rights and everything you know a league as a whole has to sell itself and sam it, yeah. in syria was there one sort of egregious shirt that really put it over the top? Was there something uh, that everybody protested? There have been some complaints about, like you're saying, not being able to read the names and the numbers. I can't remember an instance where uh, that, you know, I couldn't read something on the back of a jersey. Well, names would be the bigger challenge because most, I don't, numbers, I mean, unless you did something so bizarre you can generally read somebody's number, but I can see names, especially longer names or hyphenated names or whatever. If you had like blurring of letters and stuff, it would just make it more difficult. 
All right. Well, welcome, welcome to the fashion podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, over the ball fashion podcast. Uh, Grail, what are you over on OTP? I'm over water breaks. Okay. Yeah, but, they're weird, okay, man. Listen, they're weird. Listen, listen we, love, we, we played the game. We love the game. The reason we love the game is because part of it, in my mind, is an, an, it's an endurance test. And, uh, and so it, it, it's that. It ruins the flow of the game when you stop at odd moments of the game and interrupt yeah. it. It also gives years. coaches an odd chance to go over tactical stuff, which, again, takes away the beauty of the game. To me, the reason we all love it is because the minute you're on the pitch, other than having your coach yell at you, it's up to you to dictate what happens on the pitch. And when you break it up, it becomes more like basketball, football, baseball, where everything is programmed and everything is set up. So, boom. I, I lost uh, that one. How did that start? Is that because of the, the, the compressed season? Well, no, it's all part of the same idea of the five subs. The five or subs, and, and, okay. Yeah. Like, look, we're going to be playing so many games in such a short period of time that these players – and it could be very hot because we're playing at a time of the year that we normally okay. don't play. So it's temporary. It's temporary. Dehydration. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I think they could have a week into the restart said, look, unless the temperature goes over 90 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever it is, we're not going to do this. Because, you right. know, it, it does break up the flow. Well, it's I, like I, good stuff's happening. And that's like, woo, water break. Like, yeah, I, I, don't mind, I don't mind the water breaks. I, what I think they should do is not – you know, they wait for the whistle after a certain, you know, minute, whatever it is. Um, I think they should wait until something, you know, more innocuous happens. You know, I was watching a game yesterday where they took a water break where there was a free kick right on the edge of the box, you know, a pretty yeah. dangerous situation. Then you stop for two minutes and go back and everyone has yeah. to kind of remember what's going on. I wish they'd wait till, you know, the ball went out on the sideline near midfield or there was a kind of foul around yeah, the like same time for a sub. Yeah. But yeah. the coaches out there, the coaches are, many of them are out there essentially with the uh, clipboard going through stuff, which to me totally takes away with what makes our game beautiful. Look, because I, you I, have to figure it out. You got to figure it out. Yes. Your coach can be yelling at you, but guess what? Kevin Flynn, uh, Sam Griswell, Grell Hallett, you're out there. You've got to figure this out. Right, right, right. That's why we love the game. But I, I think it's temporary. So it's uh, nothing to get your panties in a bunch about. No, but that's what I'm over. I, I can be over it for now. <laughs> it's a temporary over. You know what? You know what I'm over, guys? I'm over guys who fake getting hurt. It just drives me crazy because and the EPL is really. EPL's oh my really god! Good. Did you just come to this sport? What's going well, on? No, no. Meaning, like, I think right now. We have the technology to actually shame some of these people because a couple of the tackles, Liverpool game especially, they show it in slow motion. The guy doesn't even get nicked and or he gets hit in the sole of the shoe and he grabs his shin. And if you see it in yeah. the replay, didn't get close to his shin. So there should, should be like sort of it, – it'd be tough. But can you find them after the match? Can you say like, you know, you rolled around for a, a minute there. Not that they actually do it that much in, in the EPL, but – um, you know, a couple of tackles were like they were holding the wrong part of their body. So yeah. I just, I just although, think like you should the, shame them. There should be a, a segment on the on the review show to go, hey, watch, uh, you know, th this player. And what well, you, or give, you could give them a yellow card like you do for simulation, right? They started giving yellow cards if you took a dive. You could do the same thing. The only problem is, is that going to slow down the game too much? I was just going to say, like, I really like the way they do in hockey. I mean, you can have two penalties on the same play. You know, you yes. can hook somebody, and then if the guy goes down, you know, you get a hooking penalty and an embellishment penalty. 
Yeah. Um, it's you know, embellishment. I like that. A little different in soccer because you can't just send them off. But uh, I, I don't it, know. I it definitely they're... has cut out the flopping, though, Sam. Don't you think? I think I think the same. You know, guys that Flat are less. notorious. Notorious are do, they're still doing it, but they're doing it less. Mm-hmm. You know, just the the ridiculous uh, Neymar's Neymar dives. Neymar's still rolling from the World Cup somewhere. <laughs> I think he's. I think, I think another issue is now with the VAR. If a guy gets taken down in the box, uh, there's an extra incentive to stay down a little longer because then the game stops, and then yeah. okay, the ref has a chance to go take a look at it. Where if oh, interesting. Know, if it keeps yeah. moving, you know, maybe you know he's supposed to get the notification, but. I feel like there's you know a better chance if the game keeps moving that he won't. I've got to be honest with you though, guys. I've seen a couple tackles that, even upon review, they let go that were grisly, like guys yeah, yeah, yeah. stepping on guys' ankles. Romeo did that yesterday. Yeah, two seconds after the ball is gone, the guy stomping on somebody's ankle, and you see the ankle just like twisting, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's like a red card, and they didn't they didn't even get a yellow for it. So well, that's only so much the ref can see in the you know on the ground. So all right, so we got a lot to cover today, guys. Before we get to the professor, so let's get going. It's some some you know some tough news. We've been talking about college soccer here in the United States. 125 NCAA schools across all divisions have now canceled their fall season. Uh, NESCAC, we talked about last week. You know the Big Ten, Pac-12. It's you know guys. What is interesting to me is Football still has not announced that they're going to not play. There's so much money involved with some programs, maybe 30 programs. Everybody else, every other football program loses money. That's another um, subject we can go on. But it's almost like they're delaying the inevitable. It's the engine. It's the engine that drives the train. I mean, for 30 football. schools. That, that, I, no, that no, but over for me. Yeah. Right. Well, well, you've got the Big Ten and the Pac-12, I think, that, that are playing only interconference, right? They've decided they're only going to have interconference for now, like, that's going to change too, because there's just no well, way they're not going to play. No, yeah. by, by the way, if we're up to, I mean, I had sent you guys uh, notes a couple of days ago, and I think I quoted like 90 schools, and then Sam, you gave the update of 125. Oh, I'm sure it's gone up again. Yeah. Well, when we do OTB next week, it be it could be 250. I mean, who mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, and then it right. could just be everybody collectively saying, "Look, for the greater good, I think we should all agree," which is not easy, but. Just no fall sports, period. Right. And that's, that's going to be the only decision that they can make because you were supposed to have a second spike in, in, in the fall, but the country's been so delinquent in doing what they're supposed to do that we're still in the, sec- in the first spike. So it's just a, you know, it's a nightmare. Well, now. if you don't have – class- yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously it's always been very political. And, you know, you've got the South that kind of is doing their own thing. But the fact is that if enough teams pull out, you don't have people to play. So, right, I, mean, right, right. I mean, once teams make the – once colleges make the individual decision and suddenly you're just peeling teams away from conferences, you don't have, you don't have enough games to play, basically. Look, and they're saying right now all these COVID cases in Texas, in Georgia, in California, they're coming from a lot of fraternity parties, a lot of, you know, uh, you know the young ones. So yeah. the ones who sort of disregarded any of the, uh, the warnings. So, and look, MLS is back. Um, the attorney is back on track after that rocky start we've talked about over the, the last uh, few weeks. Four matches were postponed or canceled in the first five days, but no positive tests since that flurry. So, um, yeah, they've been. Uh, I'm I'm happy for MLS because they got off to a very rocky start, and uh, we were talking a lot about the, you know the trouble in the bubble, and yes. that seems to have subsided a little bit. And um, 
you know, their ratings are up. I thought that was really interesting. Their ratings are up 24%. ESPN's ratings are up 24% versus 2019. So you're, that you're, the, you're the media guy. What, what do you think Just the reason an, I think, is? I think an appetite. Also, the games are being shown. They don't tend to conflict with other events because they have like the morning games and then they have the evening games. And there aren't there there isn't a lot of other sports programming in Watch, the evenings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. are there any so I other think sports th- playing in the evenings? Yeah. What's that? Are there any other sports playing in the evenings? I don't I don't think so. I mean, the, you know, most of the uh, obviously the European soccer, the latest games we see are three fifteen, I think, Eastern, mm-hmm. right? Because they're being played in the evening over there. So I think yeah, I think it's just an open window for people to watch sports. So you have people just kind of drifting into it and saying, oh my gosh. I need to see something. It's funny because when people over here talk about sports not being back, I don't know if you've noticed that. We're like, well, yeah, they're back. They're back over in Europe. But, of course, the United States' view of everything is just the United States. I mean, I hear sports commentators saying, well, it's a big deal because the NBA, and they never mention MLS, which is kind of upsetting, and they never mention global soccer because it's all about just the NBA and Major League Baseball. Yeah, and they have contracts with the with MLS. That's the amazing thing. Fox and ESPN. Yeah. It's just like you know, just just not mentioned. So, all right, uh, Champions League, guys. Want to talk sorry, about I just that? Want, I want to say one oh, thing ahead, on the MLS. Um, I watched about five minutes. I forget who was playing. Um, but I think visually it was very appealing um, in that small field like that. I think that's a lot nicer than seeing an empty forty thousand seat stadium. Did you so say five, think, five minutes that you watched, you said? I mean, I might have gotten those <laughs> Seven. Um, Come on. Wow. But I, uh, ah, snobs. I thought, it was, I thought it was cool. to. I think visually they've done a good job. I think that looks better. That's it's good. Low, That's important. It's, yeah, it's a low camera angle. It's actually like watching, you know, if you watch a, a match at like Bournemouth, which is a very small ground, the camera's lower because they don't have an upper stand. So you do get, it's a much more intimate view, Sam, right? Of watching yeah. the game. You feel like you're right there on yeah. top of the pitch. Oh, I thought it was cool. And the play has gotten better. The play I saw in one of the early games and I was like, oh my God. And yeah. then, uh, you know, since then it's really, they've really upped their game. All right. So with Champions League, I wanted to talk about uh, Bayern, I guess, odds on favorite to win the Champions League at plus 350. What does that mean? Followed by Man City at plus 400. You're not a betting guy? Not a betting dude. So, explain to our, to our OTB fan. Plus 350 would mean if you put a dollar down, you would get $3.50 back if they won, wow. uh, including See, your original it, dollar. You don't like to use decimal points, apparently, and that plus sign threw me off. That's what it's... Flinnies. Flinnies. I'm dissecting our homework. Flinnies' cover level with numbers is well documented. But and so... I, I thought I just I thought this was noteworthy that Bayern I think as we'd all agree you know are the odds on betting favorite closely followed by Man City as you mentioned but um according to 538 the website City actually have the best percentage chance of winning according to their formula at 29% followed by Bayern at 23 so they're just flip-flopped um but seems pretty clear that it's between Bayern and City in most people's eyes at this point yeah yeah and with uh Liverpool out, obviously, but would have been yeah, a great matchup. Some, you know, you've got some great matchups. I mean, I, I, I do like Man City going back home with a goal advantage over Real Madrid. So I do like them going through. And then so if you could have a uh, – you could – not that, you know, things couldn't happen, but then you'd have probably 
uh, like a Man City Juve matchup in the quarters, which would be cool. And then obviously, I think a Barca Bayern um, quarterfinal matchup would be very cool. Not, I mean, I'm writing off Chelsea, my beloved Chelsea, because we're oh. down three. We're down three nil going to Bayern Munich. So I mean. And and, th- and then you got to make the decision as the coach, like Lampard, like how much do I put behind that match when I'm still involved in the league and I'm still involved in the FA Cup? Like how much do we do, you know, because winning 4-3, not that it hasn't been done because we saw Liverpool do that, right? Yeah. Um, against Barca, but it's, it's a very, uh, very slim chance. Yeah, you know, and I want to talk about Pulisic a little bit too, because what a difference, huh? Um, just even the way the commentators speak about him now. Uh, you know, when you're an American, you have a, another level of uh, disdain to overcome when you're there. Yeah. The Yank, and it's, uh, you know, oh God, I forget his name right now. Ian, Ian Dark, I think, talks down to the American player. It really kind of annoys me, and I know, you know, uh, he's one of the better ones on air, but I just, oh, look at the American. He's struggling, isn't he? He's out of his league. He's over his head. You, you, know, you know what I think they really admire too, Flinny? And, and having lived over in England as a kid, I can speak to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to earn your respect. And Pulisic has just put his head down, trained hard, you know, didn't play initially, didn't grumble about it, got his chance and has taken his chance. And I think the fans and the players around him really respect his work ethic, you know, cause Americans, you know, people have perceptions of Americans, loud, obnoxious, complaining, whatever. And Pulisic <laughs> is just a great teammate. Pulisic just plays, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I'm just saying he's and not he's just playing. He's playing at a very high level. They say yes. one of the best league players in the premier league. And that's the only reason he overcame what, what he had to overcome where, you know, uh, other players, they almost, it's an almost impossible task. But like, even like Bob Bradley, you know, they, yeah. they just didn't give him a shot at all, made disparaging remarks about coaching. It was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. And, and, I, and I think Pulisic's uh, developed a good thing with Giroud. You know, it's Very good. Very good. Well, what's interesting, because it kind of reminds me of Giroud's uh, teamwork with Griezmann on France's national team. If you look at Griezmann and Pulisic, they're similar types in terms of being just fast guys who play off, play well off a big man. And that's kind of why Griezmann is struggling in Barca because they don't play that. But when Pulisic plays really well off Giroud. Do you, did you see after the assist that Pulisic gave Giroud, Giroud um, Pulisic ran over, but another player got to Giroud first. He pushed him away, hugged Hugged Pulisic, oh, yeah. then hugged his other teammate. He was yeah. sort of saying, "No, no, dude, he's he's got to get the first one." So it was good. Um, so I need I, I need to figure out how to get Chelsea in there. Um, well, well, by default, by default. Hey, so you're talking about the water breaks, which I absolutely hate, and I don't think are necessary. But I do believe during this this period of time, I believe in the five substitution rule. FIFA says five substitutes uh, can still be used until August of 2021. I think that might be a little. Yeah, that might be too long. I don't because I don't I don't like it if you're not playing that many games. No, uh, a little tangent here. They're playing as many games as Division One college soccer programs play, which I think gives leads to the argument that Sasha Sarovsky. Oh, what guys, a great segue with a split season. <laughs> no, I just I think yeah. it's such a great idea for soccer. And I'm I'm look. This is a terrible time. The pandemic we're going through, but I. I am hopeful that with this this sort of terrible tragedy that we're going through, uh, some changes are made. One is a split season, and one football teams finally have to answer to the um, to the 
the amount of money that they just suck up at the cost of everything else. And they say they produce money, but they don't. So I think when the numbers are going to be crunched, you know, Bo Deer, one of our guests here on, um, on Over the Ball, he's a writer for Soccer America, wrote about, hey, you know, if you really want to um, change things, uh, add more women's sports and uh, don't fund football at the level you're funding it at now. So it's too bad because that could have been one of your future um, over segments. Flynn. I just, just thought stole, that when I was just, just stole your own thunder. That, so, uh, Sam, we, we talked at, uh, about Chelsea ad nauseum, as usual, with, with the grail. <laughs> uh, what's happening in Syria? Uh, yeah, well, I hope everyone watched the Juve Atalanta game that I recommended on Saturday. I don't. I watched five minutes, it. Sam. Okay. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I, then I turned on the MLS. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I obviously hyped last week. Um, it finished two-two. It was a fantastic game. Atalanta twice went ahead on really, really nice goals. Um, only for Juve to get two handball penalties that were probably correct given the new interpretation of the rule, but nonetheless very frustrating. Um, and Ronaldo scored both of those. Um, so following yesterday's results, that's Wednesday of this week, Juve are seven points clear of Atalanta with five matches to play. Inter play today, Thursday afternoon, so they can get within six points. But, I mean, really, Juve are probably going to take this. Um, but they are really stumbling, you know, down the stretch. They've only taken two points out of their last uh, nine possible over three matches. Um, and I just, for a couple hot takes here, I don't think Sarri will be the coach next season. Um, even if they win the title, which they almost certainly will. Um, and I also just, I have to say, I think Atalanta is the best team in Italy right now, regardless of the outcome of the title race. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm sitting on a selection committee or something, I'm taking Atalanta over Juve. Um, the numbers they're putting up this year are incredible. They've scored by far the most goals uh, with 93. That's 23 more than Juve's 70 in second wow. place. They have a plus 50 goal difference, which, again, is by wow. far the best. Attacking soccer. Uh, Juve um, at number two with plus 35. Um, and then they have the most expected points using the expected goals uh, metric. They would currently have a four-point lead over Inter, actually, at the top of the table, if all that came true. And finally, according to the website VI Sport, which keeps a, a table that takes into consideration refereeing mistakes, uh, Atalanta would currently be one point ahead of Juventus at the top of the table. So that's, uh, that's my are you working for the day. For, Sam, are you working for Atalanta right now? I mean, because, if that, looking, because that was like something out of a promotional someone. brochure. Well, I'm available. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We've already talked about EPL a little bit. Uh, you know, the Liverpool game, it's been interesting to watch Liverpool play. Um, I thought yesterday, guys, I don't know if you watched the game, but uh, I, I thought – you know, two really bad giveaways, the keeper, Becker, and then oh, and also yeah. Van Dyke makes a terrible giveaway. They seem to be trying to play well individually, but, you know, two big mistakes. They dominated the first 20 minutes there. Um, but they, it just shows you the motivation of the player. It just isn't, isn't quite there. Uh, they just are not linking up like a team like they were so seamless before, and now they're just struggling a little bit. Well, in the, these final matches, you know, they have two left. The, the, the points record has gone by the wayside with the loss to Arsenal. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. Um, you know, the teams that they're playing against just have a lot more to play for than they do. And um, yeah. you know, I think it's understandable that they've kind of dropped a step. But I think it's, you know, it's somewhat unfortunate that they haven't been able to get these 
other records. It takes nothing away from the incredible season they had, and they won the league, and it was well-deserved. But uh, I think people felt that coming back from the break, they were going to just put the pedal down and just knock off all these other records in terms of points yeah. and wins and all that, and it just didn't happen. So I thought they were tired before the break. They were, you know, they're still winning and not in Champions League, but they were tired before the break, but continued to win. And then I thought they'd come back refreshed after the break, but it's sort of anticlimactic. They've, they've won the league, you know, so, you know, you're right, Grail. Any thoughts, yeah. Sam? I mean, I go back to what I said last week. I think the more impressive record is that they are the earliest team to win. I can't remember what the number of games are. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the most impressive record. All right. Uh, how about let's uh, quickly touch on La Liga. Um, Barring a meltdown in their final two matches tomorrow and Sunday, Real Madrid looks poised to win the league title over uh, Barca, which yeah, is just I mean, Real, a little Real, inconsistent, huh? They can clinch it today. They they have the of their remaining two matches today is the toughest for Real Madrid because they play Villarreal. So um, there is a a slight chance that something could happen, but I really don't see it happening. I you know. They're, uh, it's pretty much uh, their league title to lose at this point. And, um, you know, and then, of course, all the, all, all the talk's going to start in the offseason about Barcelona and what went wrong. And, you know, anything short of winning the league title is a disaster for right. them. So. All right. Well, look, uh, lots to talk about. Well, we've covered a lot already, but uh, I want to get the professor on. So let's take a break here and we'll talk about uh, everything we did talk about, which is uh, the financial fair play and, and the – litigation that was handed down uh, yesterday and uh, see how that, that impacts everything, the EPL, Champions League, so uh, UEFA in general, the whole financial fair play model, is it in danger? We're going to talk to the man who gives us the answers, Professor Stephen Bank from UCLA. Uh, so we'll be back on OTB talking to Professor Bank right after this. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And buy Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, our guest today is uh, what we call the proverbial returning champion here on OTV. He's the vice dean and professor of business law at UCLA, a man uh, who helps us understand some of these complex sort of international sports litigation matters. And he's a soccer guy. So uh, we're we're happy to have him here, Professor uh, Stephen Banks. Stephen, welcome to OTV or welcome back. Thanks, Kevin. uh, Good to be back here. Yeah, so um, if Man City... For our listeners and for the two uh, morons that sit with me on this show, please explain financial fair play for our listeners. And, and given the decision, um, as it's, uh, it, is it really in jeopardy now, hold the whole financial you know, fair play model? Yeah, so financial fair play is a series of regulations uh, enacted by UEFA, the European um, uh, Confederation uh, for Football, associate, for the football associations there. And financial fair play in theory and, and in public was, is a set of rules designed to provide some stability for football clubs, which in some ways is you know, needed more than ever now, um, right. this idea of, uh, but, it, but it's, a, it's part of a, uh, it, it came at the end of a series of kind of expenditures that made no sense for football clubs, you know, spiraling transfer fees, spiraling uh, costs, 
clubs going into receivership. Um, and when, when you have bankruptcies, what we would call bankruptcies in the U.S., uh, um, when you have those in football and in any sports league with independent really run clubs, you know, you risk the, the stability of the league because then the schedule is screwed up, uh, then players aren't paid. Um, you know, it's all sorts of problems. So in theory, you see financial fair play is about making sure that everybody spends within their means is the basic idea. And um, so it's not a salary cap like we have in the U.S., which is another way of controlling costs and ensuring parity, ensuring competitive equality. Financial fair play is about um, reducing the amount you spend over what you bring in. Um, and so um, the, the basic uh, fundamental rule there is what's called the break-even rule. It's not exactly break-even, but the idea is, is you can spend what you can bring in. There's a little bit of a deviation in what's called Article uh, 61. That you can um, you can bring in, you can spend up to 5 million euros over what you bring in, but no more than that. You're not allowed to go into sort of massive debt in order to kind of uh, take a gamble that your club is going to get promoted. And so some of this is a promotion relegation thing. Like if you are promoted, it's totally worth it to overspend, you know, spend more than you bring in, just, just run through the second division, you'll get up to the first and then you'll, you'll pay back your debts with, with the, you know, the, the TV fees and, and other, other um, financial windfall you get from being promoted. So uh, the, it might make a good, make good sense if you win the bet, but, in, but if you lose the bet, it's disastrous. And so in theory, you know, financial fair play was, was designed to prevent that practice. And so um, the, the, uh, there's a bunch of flaws in that theory, by the way, mm -hmm. but, but that's like the idea. It's not really that we're going to limit everyone's spending. It's that we're going to limit to what you can afford to spend. Um, so the, uh, the, the, just to set the stage, the, the basic problem with financial fair play is it kind of locks you in to a level of spending that your revenues supported last year or over a three-year period. So uh, you can imagine that it, it's like a caste system. Um, so another way of thinking about financial fair play is it's about preventing the uh, it's, it's defending the, the, the old money against the new money, right? So we don't want um, PSG, Man City, uh, you know, other clubs being bought up by these newcomers to international football from the Middle East, right? I mean, let's just be clear about mm -hmm. the clubs that tend to be, at, you know, targeted in this, in this case, uh, because they didn't have, the only way you can increase your spending is by to increase your revenues so that you can increase you know, how much you can spend. Well, how do you increase your revenues? There's very few ways to increase your revenues under financial fair play. Um, you, you're in the same league, maybe the league gets better and you can get a better TV deal, but it's unlikely that like the, you know, put aside say the Premier League, the, you know, the Belgian uh, uh, first division or, or whatever league you're in, it's unlikely they're just gonna make a moonshot jump in revenue. So how do you do it? You qualify for, the European competitions, which is exactly the penalty when you violate financial fair play. You can't go to Champions League, you can't go to the Europa League. Um, these are the ways in which you differentiate yourself. So, um, so if you think about it this way, I can't qualify for, I can't finish in, in the Premier League, I can't finish like in the top eight and get to at least the Europa League to increase my revenues, unless I dramatically increase how much I spend on players. But I can't dramatically increase how much I spend on players 
until I get the revenues from being in the Europa League. So unless you're a Leicester City and you, you hit the lottery, you know, you're not going to break through very easily. Or maybe, you know, every once in a while someone breaks through and, and, and really Champions League more than Europa League. So it's a caste system. I mean, it's really like about keeping people out. And many people think like, well, Man City already is in the, you know, the top tier. But, but in, in reality, uh, Man City, when you start to go back to the genesis of financial fair play, Man City's in, in the outside looking in and they're upset at that. So this, this is you know, a problematic situation. So that's the so setting the stage. Financial fair play is in many ways a, very much a um, system of exclusion, right? We don't want people to, to compete. Now, there are a variety of things that go to placate people, like um, uh, the top, top team in, in all, any European league can qualify for the Champions League. And, and so those are, that's like a little perk. You know, there's no way you're going to advance very far in the Champions League if you're from a small league, but this is a way to get the votes of all the countries, you know, all the member uh, um, nations. Um, and the Europa League was a way to kind of provide a little more money to quell dissent when people are saying, hey, we have no chance of ever getting to the Nat to Champions League because there's one team in most leagues that qualifies all the time. Right. And so we'll never get there. And so the Europa League provides a little bit of a, of a benefit for this. But there's been a lot of concern about financial fair play. So to say that like financial fair play, um, it's, it's, it's about stability. It's, it's certainly about how do we spread the wealth um, 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 a little bit, but it's about how do we keep the wealth. And if you go back even farther, why do we worry about, why is the old rich worry about the new rich? Because the old rich was saying, why the heck should we be propping up these other clubs right. by sharing the money? Manchester United saying, what the heck? Man City, you know, a generation ago was a nothing, right? They were just the you know, poor steps, uh, stepchild um, in Manchester. So, um, although arguably they're the only ones in Manchester, I think, as I understand. <laughs> well, um, a little but, geography as well from the, from the professor. <laughs> but in any event, uh, uh, so, you know, there was a movement before, the, um, before you created the Champions League to, for the top teams in each of these national leagues to break off and form their own league. Right. So financial fair play is in some sense a way to keep the top clubs from breaking off Keep them in the fold of UEFA. So they're just saying, what do we need FIFA and UEFA for? We, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, um, you know, uh, Manchester United, Arsenal, whatever. We, we got our own league. And you know what? We'll get the television revenues. And you guys right. won't. So UEFA kept them with this Champions League scheme as long as financial fair play created some um, barrier to others being in, in the fold. So let, that's all setting the stage for me, talking about Man City. I'm not trying to paint Man City as Well, a, no, but like just to, to quickly review, I mean, and part of it is, um, you know, your, your league is as strong as its weakest link. So if, uh, you know, teams aren't financially sound, who are the top teams going to play? And where's the incentive for them to play? So this sort of greases the tracks where everybody tries to keep a little bit of a, you know, and it's a gamble. Like you're saying, it's a gamble. You know, the lower teams, uh, how much do they gamble on trying to make it, you know, go up a, go up a league? It's, you know, it's like uh, you got a 10 and a 2 and the dealer's got a pair of 8s. You know, you're just like, you're just sitting there trying to figure it out. So uh, I understand it. Now, it, is the, uh, 
the hope for the great getting in the way of the good? I mean, is this something good and it just seems like it needs to be fixed, repaired, or is it? Well, so let me explain what the flaw is and why, I mean, what the sort of technical flaw is that Manchester City was trying to exploit. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Article 61 says you, could, you have a break-even rule. Break-even doesn't mean exactly one for one because it's hard, you know, in any one year to hit your target exactly given ticket sales and and other revenues. So you're so they're allowing a a you know a five million euro um, deficit right per year. But then there's this additional one that says in Article 61 says, but you can raise that to 30 million euro deviation with equity funding. Right. So that's how much you can do with equity funding. Um, now this is where things get to me like off the rails from the stability concept, the idea that we don't want clubs to spend more than they bring in. Right. Um, so, uh, and it, 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 so the theory there is unclear. Like if, if you're really worried about stability um, in any business, if you're saying like, what we really need to do is spend so we can make more, right? Spend more to make more. <laughs> we need to bring in more investors, right? So you bring in a wealthy investor. The investor understands they can lose their money. If they're willing to invest, then they must think you're worth it. They give you a bunch of money and you spend it and you see whether you make the bet, right? You're not going bankrupt for that. They're not loaning you the money. They're giving it to you. It's an equity deal. Um, they're saying you can only do it up to, to get up to that 30 million deficit number. You can only finance that deficit up to the 30 million. And basically, like you can give them 100 million, but, the, but as far as your deficit looks, you know, only 30 million of it will be wiped out essentially by this, uh, uh, by this equity contribution. And so, uh, that's really about the big wealthy oil barons from Russia, the, you know, or, or the Middle East. Um, uh, it could be from the U.S., although U.S. owners have not been ones who bring in and, and throw in bunches of cash. Um, no, they're actually yeah. trying to make money, which is the problem, uh, um, perhaps, in the Premier League. But the, the idea is, is they don't want those people just creating competitive imbalance by spending huge gobs of money. Right. Um, of course, they don't mind if there's competitive imbalance because you were able to spend last year's Champions League draw to buy huge amounts of players to get to this year's. They don't think that's competitive imbalance. The only thing is competitive imbalance if you bring in the money from the outside. Um, so, uh, so how does a Middle Eastern oil um, rich country deal with the fact that they're limited, even though they have unlimited funds, they're limited in how much they can contribute under financial fair play? Well, uh, there are things that are um, not permitted equity contributions are things that count towards revenues, right? Remember, it's break even. So if, you're, if you can raise your revenue, so how can you raise your revenues without TV, because um, that's locked in by the league, or without uh, jersey sales, you can only sell so many. Um, you bring in sponsors, right? So okay, that's great. If you can convince a bunch of sponsors to give you all this money, then you're going to be in good shape. Um, what the problem is is there's a real blurring in certain countries, certain regions of the world between sponsors and owners. Um, so the, particularly in um, countries where the government is um, primarily the owner of everything. Uh, so you have these sovereign wealth funds, the sovereign wealth funds end up being the owners of the biggest businesses and the owner, the part of the ownership group that buys the team. And so in Manchester City's case, uh, and really it's a PSG's case and you know, all these, all these airline sponsors, jersey sponsors of teams tend to be owned by the same country, basically, the sovereign wealth fund that owns the team. So it's convoluted. Owns. The money's convoluted. So, 
so there's a related party. So there's, this is a problem with related party transactions. So this becomes just an accounting issue. Um, okay, we're not allowed to call it an equity contribution. We'll call it sponsorship and we'll pay a huge sponsorship fee. There you go. Now you've got money. Now you can spend it. And you know, that's it, it, what Manchester City was accused of doing. There's a lot of ego there too. Is you know a lot of these people want to be associated with a with a football t team, and it reminds me, you know, you're there in UCLA in LA. This is a lot like investing in a movie. You're probably not going to see your money back, but you you get to rub shoulders with the actors. You go to the opening, um, and if you have the money, hey, why not? You write it off. Uh, so it's uh, it's interesting, especially when you talk about a nation that will invest in these roundabout ways. It gets kind of you know follow the money, and you actually can't follow the money. I, Think. It's almost impossible. Sam, you had a question for the professor? Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what your take on FFP going forward is. Um, and, you know, it's everybody talks about Man City and PSG, but, but do you feel on a whole it's made a difference? I mean, looking at some of the smaller clubs that are maybe now turning a profit, I mean, big picture, do you think it's been effective at all? I think the concept of financial fair play can help the smaller clubs, um, but it's usually on the um, league level. So, you know, the Premier League or or the FA in, in England, they can use financial fair play and they have those kinds of financial fair play rules. But most of those smaller clubs are not going to ever sniff um, the uh, Europa League or Champions League, right? So they're, they're not, that's not the penalty system. Like that doesn't work for them. Um, what, you know, if you're worrying about, you know, the Portsmouth case, you know, you're worried about these sort of smaller clubs that they're just trying to get into the Premier League. Right. It's not... I don't think a, a UEFA rule with UEFA competitions being the penalty is the place to do it. It's probably do it at a smaller level. Um, it, it, what it does do, what financial fair play does do a little bit that's good for soccer probably generally is this imposes a certain level of transparency mm -hmm. uh, that you know, you're supposed to be subject to audit, subject to monitoring. And so there's probably some value in that. Just, just general oversight is probably good. Um, to like, where are you doing things that are kind of out of control? But, you know, the Man City case shows um, they got pretty much a slap on the wrist for um, obscuring this, uh, you know, hiding this connection. So I'm not sure the transparency that they got was very great. So I think financial fair play is, um, in concept, is necessary. I mean, we're going to lose a bunch of clubs or, or a bunch of clubs are going to be teetering on receivership as a result of this pandemic. And right. certainly don't want them to go out and borrow a bunch of money in an era where now the uncertainty is multiplied tenfold because it used to be just, are you going to win? Now it's, are the sponsors going to you know, still be there? Are the fans going to come back? Are, you know, right. TV revenue is going to be the same. I mean, these, they've got a lot of uncertainties. You don't want them to spend. And then you, then a town loses their club, mm. right? So there's some value in that. I'm not sure UEFA level FFP helps that. Yeah. And just to, to build off that, I was reading the UEFA president, um, Alexander Seferin saying, you know, he kind of thought the next step of financial fair play was now finding ways for the smaller teams, now that they're kind of profitable, to increase their spending. Uh, and I'm curious what that might look like, if you have sort of a picture of that. Yeah, you could imagine some kind of an increased you know, deficit level or an increased equity contribution level at lower tiers. You know, at, you know, so it's sort of progressive rate taxation, if you want to think about it that way, even though this isn't a tax scheme. Uh, um, you know, you, you can contribute more at a smaller group. What they're trying to do at a smaller level club, what, what they might be trying to do is they now realize they need those equity investors to prop up struggling but historic clubs, you know, who from a revenue perspective won't ever be able to get back into the, into the black, but they can, um, 
if they can attract um, you know, a, a kind of a vulture investor, right? Someone who's going to come in and, and uh, swoop them in, you know, and, and prop them up. Um, so there, there, I'm sure there's good, there could be some way in which you would incentivize um, uh, those clubs, allow them to get either equity contributions or spend a little more debt. Although I think it's really dangerous for them to spend more, you know, more deficit financing because they, it, it, with borrowed money, because I think they really could go under. It's a very uncertain environment. Yeah, and like you said, even before the pandemic, that's you know one of the financial fair play was sort of keeping things a little bit more stable for for situations like a pandemic. I mean, not that right. any of us could have envisioned this. So, Grail, you had a question? Yeah. So, Professor, in terms of uh, the next steps, do you see UEFA, who's kind of been embarrassed a little bit by this, uh, contesting? Um, is is that a legal uh, out? Is that a, a legal next step? And also. Um, can the EPL separately um, come to some decision or punishment with Man City? And what, what, what are the chances of that? So on the first point, I, I, I think um, UEFA has got some uh, egg on its face in a variety of ways. One of which is uh, we haven't seen the ruling, the reasoning of the actual um, opinion from the Court of Arbitration for Sport, but we saw the press release suggested some of these limits were time barred. Um, that's that's a um, that suggests a little bit of a bust on their part. You know, you, it's a five-year limitation. Know what the rules are. I, I can I can understand from a legal perspective why they may have still filed because this case was originally resolved in 2014, and then it was only because of revelations in the newspapers and the German newspapers about um, new evidence that they brought it back up. And so one might have thought, well, maybe we can get this tact like the, the time period kind of told and then we can tack on periods, but it does look bad that they, you know, they, they, if you're time barred, that means that like you brought the case too late. You should have thought about that, but I think they probably just thought about it and thought they'd win the argument. What can they do? They could, you know, they, there, there are some things they can do um, uh, uh, to try to mitigate. I do think what Sam was talking about mitigation through um, uh, treating um, you know, more for the smaller clubs, you know, um, and kind of a, a, a way to make, um, uh, make, make this not about Man City at PSG is probably valuable. The problem is, is that um, they'll be really strong and it'll be a strong, very vibrant, robust FFP for small clubs and PSG and Man City will still get away with murder. So, you know, it's like, right. it won't make UEFA look very good. Can they go to, can they appeal this UEFA? Uh, it is possible to appeal to the Swiss Federal Tribunal. So that's when you when you do uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport is not a court; it's an arbitration panel. Um, but really, the Swiss the reason why there are fifty international sports organizations located in Switzerland and and Court of Arbitration for Sport is located in Switzerland and all these things is not because Switzerland is really you know, tough on sports organizations. It's because they're very um, um, hands-off, shall we say. And so the only way that I think I could see the Swiss intervening is if it, if it contravenes Swiss uh, policies or Swiss federal, you know, usually if you follow your own procedures, then the only way is if, is if it somehow like contravenes human rights or something like that. And, and there have been some cases out of uh, cast recently, like in the track uh, arena, the, the, um, uh, and other places where there's much more clear cases for there being some sort of a true human rights violation, and Swiss federal tribunals not gotten involved. So I doubt that's going to be uh, 
a bias. They're, you know, so they're good for army knives, hot chocolate, and for uh, putting, locating your, your business I mean, this, there. This is, this is their business. Like this is Switzerland's right. business is sports. They have sports organizations yeah. there. That's what they, that, that's like Delaware has corporations. There's nothing else there, but they have, they have corporation headquarters that Switzerland has sports. And we and see with, with FIFA that was there for so long and how long it took to get any sort of, uh, you know, clarity on what was going on and just took so long and so much corruption, you know, so. How about, how about the, the I uh, just wanted to follow up on the Premier League's reports, oh, right. if, if yeah, there's so, any. So the Premier League actually still has, um, it, it reportedly, it is still investigating Manchester City. It's different violations, one of which is um, uh, recruitment of academy players, uh, which is violation of internal um, uh, FA rules, uh, Premier League rules, I should say, and third-party ownership, both of which deal with players, how you're acquiring young players. Third-party ownership is where some like agent or, or company has bought, essentially invested in a player, and then you're paying off the, the third party um, rather than let the player have agency in this matter. So uh, it is absolutely true. Premier League could could uh, punish Man City. What they can't punish them for is financial fair play rules. Those are UEFA rules. So uh, it, maybe they go after them. They look a little bit like they're um, so, sort of a sour grapes. Manchester City won on financial fair play, so we'll punish you on something else. Right? Right, it doesn't make right. Premier League look very good, but that's a possibility. So, so on a related question, Professor, uh, the Saudis have been looking into um, Newcastle as an investment. I don't, I don't know if that's been determined yet. But in any case, on a related matter, do you see, do you see the outcome of this in any way impacting maybe that situation? Just because it's like, oh my goodness, do we want to get involved in another situation? with a sovereign nation owning a team and then potentially having similar problems? Yeah, it's, it's a tough question. I mean, if you're thinking about this from a business perspective, uh, Premier League is wondering, again, when can we bring in fans? And for many teams, fans are the, are, are the only way in which they can sort of leverage up. Premier League does not have as robust attendance as people in America would think. Like, it's not, that's not a big... It's not that they fill their stands and, and they have huge amounts of money. Sometimes they don't fill their stands even. But uh, when you get beyond the top clubs, they're not making a huge amount of money. And so it's hard. It's hard to resist uh, someone coming along with big buckets full of money, you know, especially at this time. And so I'm, I don't know if it's actually worse or better. You know, that is like, let's bring them in because we're kind of in trouble. And the only way we can get anybody to disrupt like a man city is to bring in, you know, fight fire with fire and bring in somebody else who also will mm -hmm. do the same thing. And then they kind of, you know, but, but that's not going to happen. Of course, that's not going to help the other clubs sure. see from a, from a um, FA or premier league perspective, they may be uh, in some sense more willing um, just because uh, um, you know, they need the money and because it's a way to compete, but we'll see. I mean, UEFA doesn't like it. I'm sure. You know, Professor, it's basically what you teach, one of the classes that you teach at UCLA. What, I, what I'm seeing here is this, this international law, because if you look at the Newcastle situation, domestically, they don't want to sell to anybody, really, other than an English sort of uh, group, right? So the Americans are in there. But when someone has international problems, let's say, like Saudi Arabia right now, um, there's an international set of rules, I guess, uh, but then you have the domestic set of rules, and they they don't mix, especially like in this situation, but one can't, can one supersede the other or, you know? Well, here, here's the interesting thing. It, um, this all uh, um, 
kind of jibes with Brexit, right? With all the nationalistic feelings. So Brexit in theory um, is, you know, nationalism. Um, we're okay with Europeans having more difficulty in, you know, being involved in, in commerce in, in the UK, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, the, the real problem in the Premier League, but the real benefit, how did the Premier League grow to be dramatically um, uh, popular worldwide? And the Bundesliga really did not. I mean, Bundesliga is, is more, more or less is, is getting some profile, but they're behind the Premier League by far. Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason is, is that in the Premier League, you can have individual owners, they can buy the whole thing. It's just set up for wealthy people to own it. In the Bundesliga, they have a 50 plus one rule for ownership of, of their clubs that, that inherently reduces the attractiveness of foreign investors coming in and buying up in Germany. So um, it's hard for England. England may say, well, we'd rather have English own it, but their rules are not set up that way. And they have to decide, do we want to be, essentially, do we want to kill the Premier League by getting all these foreign owners out, reducing the attractiveness of the league, um, yeah, we can have a nice league for English, and it could be just like the Irish or Scottish leagues. Right. Right? Aren't those right. you know? I mean, that's what they, they, they became big because they made themselves global. And if they decide suddenly to be nationalistic and, and isolationist, then, then the league's also going to be uh, right. suffering. Yeah, you think of the U.S. contract, how big that is. China, they, they, they're into in a huge way. And then you're talking the Middle East. Sam? Yeah. yeah, I just had one final question. You know, a lot of people are saying this decision sort of marks the end of financial fair play. I mean, do, do you think that's true? Is this going to survive this? Well, I, so it depends on whether UEFA wants to keep it going. I, I think that there, it's the end of the notion that financial fair play is going to keep out uh, these really wealthy investors and keep, you know, keep at bay these kind of nouveau riche clubs who are, who are kind of starting to dominate. Um, uh, so I think it's the, the, effective end of some ideal of financial fair play that probably never was real. Um, is it going to be the end of the system? I don't think so. I actually think it could mean financial fair play gets reborn as a system that really is about stability because we are going to be entering an era where I think there's a lot of clubs they're going to need to reduce their spending. And this is going to be a reason to do so. And that includes some of the biggest clubs. They're not going to be able to spend the way they used to. You know, we, we got to get going, Professor, but it's, it's interesting is, uh, you know, soccer, the Premier League and the Bundesliga are, are actually doing it. I mean, here we see the, you know, domestically, our, our sports team sort of struggling with what's going to happen. I know, you know, UCLA, a huge football program there. Then you're talking about NFL, billions of dollars there. They're going to try to play in some shape, form. And it's, uh, I wonder if they're learning from, from what's going on you know, overseas are like, look, you're, you're in academia. It's, um, there's a lot of money that's brought in there. So it's just, but also you're dealing with the welfare of your students. It's just, it's really complex. Yeah. I mean, sports has propped up a, a lot of things and there's a lot of business there. It's a, it's, it's a long, long time ago that sports was just a pleasant, pleasant diversion. And now it's a right. Um, and people are, and that's true all the way down to youth soccer for them, that matter. Youth sports. I mean, there are tournaments in, Texas and Florida have this huge volleyball tournament. You're 19,000 people, youth volleyball. What are they, crazy? I mean, this seems like, you know. Yes, like they are, actually. You know, why would you bring in people from all over the country so they can spread it? It's like Mardi Gras, you know. Um, so I do think that uh, people are, are coming to terms with the fact that sports is a big business. Um, probably coming to terms with there's, there maybe need to be regulations. So in that way, financial fair play is kind of 
could be part of that in Europe. Uh, but it is a, um, uh, but there's gonna be a lot of people who lose their jobs in yeah. sports um, as a result of this. We are not gonna recover um, quickly. For a couple of years. This is right in your wheelhouse with all this stuff, even like international students coming in, like, you know, somebody just makes a decision and you say, no, there's, there's like many levels of, uh, and ramifications to what just you just did there. It's, uh, so it's, it's, it's crazy times, Professor, and I'm glad I can speak to someone who, uh, who is bright and articulate and and an intellectual as opposed to these two guys. I really, we, uh, we appreciate you being on the show, uh, Professor, we really do. It's uh, Professor Stephen Bank, um, at UCLA, he's a, a law professor there, and you you teach some really cool classes. I always tell you when I'm on the, when you're on this show, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop in when classes return sometime. Professor. I was gonna say you can drop in my Zoom right now. Yeah, exactly. Zoom bomber in one of my classes, but I mean, every every one of your students in their pajamas. It must be interesting. So, well, the you know you know what the debate is now. Do we require students to have their video on or video off? And it's like you know, do you want to see them? Is that <laughs> <laughs> Some cases, yes, I would imagine. No, I would say video on because God knows what, some of these kids are going to have like mannequins they're going to move. Last semester, I remember a student, you know, video on the whole thing and he's got the TV on in the background, like, and I'm, it's right visible on the screen and I'm thinking, <laughs> Dude, turn off your TV. That is not something you want people to see you watching. <laughs> he's probably watching, and he's watching Jerry Springer. It just really can't bode well. So, all right, Professor Stephen Bank, thank you so much for helping us make uh, some sense of uh, this financial fair play and the ramifications with Man City and where it all goes from here. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of uh, various machinations over the years here, and we'll we'll call you up, see what uh, see what you think. Always a pleasure. All right, yeah, thank thank you, Professor. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Uh, guys, all right. Great talking to Professor Bank. Uh, yeah, I'm glad there's not a test uh, every time he speaks. Wow. I uh, always got to like sharpen up my number two pencil and get ready for him. But uh, that was really enlightening. It's uh, it's interesting. Done for the right reasons, and you know, there's some some things that aren't working with it. So I hope they, ch you know tailor it, change it a little bit, try to make it better as opposed to just scrapping it because it's good intentions. Yeah, it's funny because the way I always looked at financial fair play was that it was set up to benefit the lower clubs to essentially level the playing field. So the big, the big behemoth clubs couldn't take advantage or game the system. And uh, it was interesting from his perspective about how it was really the, also designed to keep some of the bigger clubs from um, – you know the Middle East and stuff. From like there was a there there was a there was an element to that that I just was not really aware of, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, I, you know what I'm worried about is that this leads you know even more directly to a super league down super the league, line. Yeah. I mean, if if UEFA can't really enforce these rules, um, honestly, I thought it was too obvious to go with you know what I'm over this week being the financial fair play ruling, but um, right. You know, I'm surprised that, you know, some clubs don't maybe get together and try to challenge this ruling because there's other clubs that have been, you know, punished, you know, unable to play in Champions League or Europa League or teams that just had to sell off, you know, a ton yeah. of top players to try to get in line. And now, I mean, yeah. Well, there are a lot of there are a lot of people, Sam, in England who hate Man City. And let's face it, a lot of it has to do with kind of anti-foreigner sentiment. 
Mm-hmm. And they, every, everybody, I, I think most people thought they would get at least a one year ban. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Split the difference, not two, but one year. So I think. Yeah, but then they'd lose Pep, they'd lose De Bruyne. You the know, fact that they got off scot free. See, now me, even as a Chelsea supporter, I think it's better than Man City's in the Champions League because to me, it makes it a better tournament mm-hmm. from a straight fan standpoint. Like the best teams being in there makes the tournament better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but I can see the flip side where people think that they got treated differently because of who they are right on the heels of you saying uh premier league sometimes uh you know they don't want owners from other countries there uh for whatever reason uh pride of england um links really to to uh, a 12 year old aston villa supporter arrested for racist comments on twitter directed at wilfred zaha wilfred zaha i mean you know, yeah, I mean, sense. talk about the sign that the apocalypse is now upon us. I mean, he got the tweet apparently before he went out to play the game uh, and alerted the authorities, and they looked into it. And I think before the match was over, they'd already basically tracked down this 12-year-old kid mm-hmm. and uh, arrested him. I mean, I hope, he, I hope his parents were also Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, mean, I know. Was, I hope no, you, you, know, you, you wonder, yeah, the household. What, what's going on in the household? It's just, you know, it, it's the age of the, the kid just makes it that m- much more disturbing, obviously, is because it's like this is where the seeds are being planted and, uh, and how much more of this is there out there. And again, you know, unfortunately, that's the downside of social media, too, that you can, as a 12-year-old, go onto Twitter and spew this stuff out there. When, and by the way, I'd say the same thing if it was a 25-year-old, but I'm just saying that you have access to that and you can put that out there. Well, no, if it's a 25-year-old, a 25-year-old would like to say, the guy's an idiot and a racist, right? When it's yeah. a 12-year-old, you're sort of like, I, I go right to the parents. Yeah. You know, like, you know, that, uh, and, uh, you know, Zaha, what a great player. Um, yeah. You know, um, boy, you put him on a Liverpool or a Man City, boy, he would do some damage for sure. Yes. So, uh, great player and, you know, nobody should have to deal with that crap. But every week we seem to talk about it. Um, kind of like Chelsea and Serie A. It's a consistent in our show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, how about Argentina? They're playing human foosball. Sam, tell us about that. Yeah, this looks awesome. So, in these um, indoor kind of facilities that they have there, sort of five-a-side fields, um, they've, yeah, they've set it up, marked it off with, I think, four grids on each side. Uh, too wide and um, so yeah it's four on four and everybody has to stay in their assigned grid essentially they're all wearing masks um, and I don't know how it works because you know when the ball's on the line that could get a little you know testy but um, yeah, yeah it sounds pretty cool and it's a way to stay active. Good way to, good way to knock it around so uh, you know what's so funny is I never I remember going to college when I went to college and I'd never played foosball and I went down to the rec room or something in the dining hall and people were playing foosball. I just didn't never grew up with it. And I was just never good at it. And for some odd reason, people thought that soccer players should yeah, be yeah. good at foosball, just like soccer players should be good at hacky sack and show me a hacky sack player that was ever good at soccer. Please. Oh, God. Because yeah. the best hacky plaques, hacky sack players could not kick a soccer ball if you paid them. Right. I actually did a te- I did that test. I watched a uh, hacky sack kid and we tossed him the soccer ball. He missed the soccer ball. Yeah. He, he didn't even touch. It missed his foot. We're like, wow, your, your foot eye is supposed to be pretty good because of the, the hacky sack. But I think you generally have to be under the, under the influence of some sort of illicit drug <laughs> yeah. to be Mush- good at hacky sack. Mushrooms, <laughs> yeah, generally. exactly. Yeah. Unshaven and uh, long dreads. That's, that's how Grateful it works. Grateful Dead playing in the background. 
Um, so, uh, all right, Sam, I guess you got a quiz for us today. Yeah, uh, so a little quiz. We got an FA Cup uh, game this Sunday, too. I don't know if you're going to be watching that for five minutes, Sam. No, definitely nah, not. It'll uh, be happening. I love it. All right, so let's get into the quiz. Um, it's sort of Man City, you know, finance related. Um, so I was looking into the numbers a little bit behind these sponsorship deals that we were discussing today on the show and um, found that Man City for uh, 2019 received 58.21 million or so for this season um, from Etihad to be its jersey sponsor, which nice. placed them at number five, actually, in terms of the most lucrative jersey sponsorships uh, across Europe. So my question is, which club is at number one on the list? So I'm not talking Nike, Adidas. I'm talking, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. brand across the, the chest. Oh, the brand across I'm gonna the go, chest. I'm going to go with maybe Barca. Okay. Are you, are you asking for the top? I'm asking for number one. Number one. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Barca. I'm gonna go. With well, you Barca. probably got Barca, Man United, Liverpool. Go with the biggest clubs: Chelsea, Man United, Bayern. You Chelsea. Got Bayern. There he is again with Chelsea. No, no, no. You got the big clubs with the money. You know, Bayern. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going with Barca. I'd I'd go with uh, Manchester United. Right on, Man United yeah. uh, with Chevrolet at $82.79 million a season. Oh, goodness. Nice. Wow. What were the other ones, Sam? Do you have them or not? Uh, the top four was Real Madrid, Barcelona, and uh, PSG. Okay. Yeah. Wow, PSG, um, huh? Yeah. And Liverpool's not in there. I'm surprised. They're, well, they're, they're redoing. They're, 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 they're a top 10, but yeah. 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 Well, they're all, yeah, and they're just about to redo their uh, shirt, their new balance, but they're going to. Adidas, I think. No, they're going to Nike for less Nike. money, actually. Oh, they're going to Nike. That's right. They're going to Nike, and and Chelsea switched to Nike yeah. as well. Uh, all okay, right. So, so whoa, go whoa, ahead. I'm whoa, sorry. Whoa, whoa, we're building off that. Um, so oh, all right. Multiple. Question two per the website statista.com. Um, so for 2019, across the top 50 European soccer clubs, which of these industries spent the most on jersey sponsorships? Is it A, the airline industry, B, the automotive industry, or C, the internet industry? I'd say the airline. I'm going to go with airline as well. All right, both right at $207 million. Automotive at number two with $159 million, and internet in a distant third with 53 mil. Remember when Barcelona used to have UNICEF on the front of their shirts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a world we've gone from there. Uh, final question. Also for 2019, according to the same website, um, across the top 50 European clubs, uh, the majority of the sponsorships come from Europe. But I want to know where they then come from, where the majority of those that don't come from Europe come from. So is it the US, the Middle East, or Asia? Middle East. I'm going to say Middle East, too. All right, both right again. The Middle East with eight clubs. The U.S. Uh, has five. They got the they got the dough. Asia with seven. So. Hey, Grail, we're we're either getting smarter or the questions are getting easier. I'm not sure which. How do you feel though, Flinny, being you know in partnership with a moron? A couple of simpletons. I mean, that, that, can't make you, that can't make you feel very yeah, good. I know. Three for three, pretty good. Yeah. Just Flynn, riding the coat- the- I'm, I'm riding the coattails of the genius. All right, so Sunday, uh, Man United, Chelsea, FA Cup semifinal. Grail, yeah. you'll be watching that. I know I, I didn't even be. have to ask you what your favorite game is, so uh, <laughs> what do you think your chances are there? Man, Man United playing pretty well. Uh, well, you know, what will Frank do in terms of players? You know, Frank, it, it, he's it, on a first-name basis no, 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 with no, him. No, no, I'm just saying we're in the resting period. It's, it's like a juggling act right now at this right. end of the season. So, 
Um, I feel good. I feel good. Not I, cautiously optimistic. I tell you, with Chelsea, uh, William on one side and Pulisic on the other side, that's a lot of speed, a lot of skill. They both like to go inside. Um, it's fun to watch, Chelsea. They really – Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but Man United, Martial is playing really well. I thought uh, – they're, 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 they're good. They're really – they're going to end up in top four, I think. I do. I, I, some, I, think, I think Leicester is going to be the odd team out. They've they got some young, exciting players. Sam, what are you watching this weekend? Uh, I actually have to look. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't have a game ready to throw out. You, you were busy putting that quiz together, man. Yeah. Doing some deep well, research. It's hard to find questions you guys can get right. Um, so is that the <laughs> Wow, final? that was a dig. We got a dig. Is that the final of the FA Cup or what? Semi. 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 No, yeah, because Man okay. City is also playing Arsenal, I believe. Okay. Yeah, Man City, City Arsenal. Arsenal. And uh, so, Sam, the question is, will you be able to read the names of the players on the backs of the jerseys this weekend? That's it. Let's see, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. You've got to do a little focus group of one. Get back to us and let us know if it was a good decision. Wow, homework yeah. assignment. Said. We, have to, <laughs> got the, we have the professor on, and suddenly uh, Grail's giving out homework assignments. All right, everybody. Uh, that's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank uh, our sponsor, Soccer America Ticket IQ. Also, the great professor, Stephen Bank. I think I called him Banks once, but he's so good. You've, like called, him ba- you've called him Banks multiple times, by the way. Thanks. Uh, so, Professor Bank, B A N K. Got it right this time. Thank you. My really nice guy and very smart. And it's uh, uh, all stuff that is right, like I said, to him in his wheelhouse. So, uh, thanks to, to the professor for being on. For my two simpleton co hosts or tro hosts, <laughs> what do you call it? Tri hosts. Uh, Grail Hallett. <laughs> Easy for Sam you to Paul. say, smarty pants. I'm Kevin Flew. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.